Hello everyone and welcome to The Migrating Mic. My name is Anandu. My name is Eriwana. And my name is Lucy. Our podcast will be about family migration with a focus on family reunification where I'll briefly talk about transnational marriages and personal family experiences. I'll be discussing the push and pull factors of transnational marriages in Pakistani and Indian communities. And I will be examining hostile environments with a focus on how the current stigma of migrants influences the environment where they reside, in this instance, Britain. We hope you will enjoy our podcast. So I'll be talking about family reunification, but before I can start, I think I should first define the concept. The Migration Data Portal is a website that is tied to the EU and it defines family reunification in this way. The right of non-nationals to enter into and reside in a a country where their family members reside lawfully or which they have the nationality in order to preserve the family unit. Mm -hmm. And historically, this has involved transnational marriages or the trailing wife effect. This would typically involve a husband who first leaves his country of origin for a more affluent country or that of a sibling that leaves so that they can can financially support their family, usually men, via remittances. The reasons can vary and according to the neoclassical economic theory, they are mostly economical ones that work as push and pull factors. The husband, after leaving, would want to reunite with his family or wife and he would do this by bringing them to the host country. The Pakistani population in the UK was studied regarding this matter and the researchers found that they would prefer marrying a Pakistani national rather than a co-ethnic person uh, residing in Britain. These wives who were being brought over from Pakistan were seen as bringing traditional values with them, making it more difficult for them to probably integrate into British society on many levels. Nations have also started to move on from a multiculturalist perspective where they were encouraging cultural differences and for communities to live in harmony with each other uh, towards a post-multiculturalist perspective where they are less accepting of cultural diversity and instead want immigrants to assimilate into the host country society. This has become rather problematic since host countries want immigrants to self-identify with their host country and not their homeland or country of origin. This has also encouraged Islamophobia throughout many nations, where government officials have blamed many other problems on Muslims who apparently don't properly integrate into society. Wow, that was really interesting, Ariana. By notice you mentioned at the start you had personal experiences of family reunification. Would you please talk about that more? Yeah, so my dad and uncle both emigrated from Kosovo in the 1990s to Sweden due to the political and financial climate in the former Yugoslav Republic. So basically, my dad was fired from his job, along with the rest of the Kosovar population at the time, and his family could simply not afford to keep both my dad and uncle anymore, and their only choice was to leave in the hopes of bettering their circumstances. They also left hoping to attain better living conditions and opportunities since Kosovo couldn't offer that to them. These were then a few of the things that acted as push and pull factors that influenced their decision to leave. My dad and uncle managed to, um, I think after about seven years, and after the quotation of dad, funny story that one, (laughs) 
gained citizenship in Sweden after the war between Serbia and Kosovo began in 1998. Mm -hmm. Once they gained financial stability, they began to pay remittances back home to help the family. And by doing this, they also exchanged information, which made my youngest uncle want to try and gain citizenship in Sweden as well. He came over to Sweden and he worked on getting some job skills and he was learning Swedish, but ultimately he failed and had to be sent back to Kosovo. This is an example of a failed family reunification since my youngest uncle was unable to join his older siblings in Sweden. Oh, that's super interesting, and um, thank you for sharing your experiences as well. Um, Anandu, can you let us know uh, a push factor for transnational marriages? Yeah, sure. So I'll expand on transnational marriages earlier than I mentioned by focusing on migrants from Pakistan and India who transnationally married British, Indian and Pakistani spouses. <laughs> so since the opening of the borders between countries, transnational marriages have actually been quite common and it can be defined as cross-border marriages in an active transnational network. So for a variety of reasons, immigrants from Pakistan and India look for spouses in the UK. Political motivations could be a push factor. So same-sex same -sex marriages in the Global South are looked down upon, where homosexuality is socially and psychologically problematic. Homosexuality has become labelled as taboo after a lesbian couple tried to get married in Pakistan in 2005. The tribal and religious authorities of the nation promptly informed them that they were being exiled and if they disobeyed, they would be threatened with death. So as you may understand, these circumstances likely caused many LGBT Pakistanis to become silent. Mm. To make matters worse, Pakistanis were subjected to psychological and physical compulsion to accept arranged marriages from their family members. Families feared that if their community found out their children were homosexual, it would disgrace and stigmatise the family's name and reputation. So Pakistani families would participate in Rishta, which is a marriage practice where family members would find suitable spouses for their children. Nonetheless, a lot of individuals get married through Rishtas claim that families choose partners based on how well they fit their family name, rather than the spouses themselves. So these practices are one way of eliminating LGBTQ marriages. So what do you guys think about that? Interesting. I would actually say that a full factor is probably social media, which has also added, um, which has also added to this, and the feminization of migration. So social media kind of shows a different way of life. And now this way of life, you know, seems achievable. So instead of seeming like a dream, I would argue it seems much more accessible now for many women overseas, especially. And people can see how much more accepting other countries are to different views, such as sexuality. As you know, you can be exposed to that much more regularly because of social media. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it is less anxiety producing as migrants, as they have much easier contact with family and friends from where they are, and, you know, not even 20 years ago you would have had very little access to any of this, and definitely not easily. Um, but though this doesn't always correlate, uh, you know, depending on the person. An example is a trans girl who came over from her country, the Philippines, you know, for a different type of life. Yet her whole family disowned her for wanting a different type of life, even though they were fine with her being a trans woman, they thought she should do domestic work and help, you know, look after the family. 
though another reason women prefer marriage as a migration option is probably also how difficult it is, you know, to work here. Uh, for example, I can use the domestic work visa changes as an example. So, meaning previously, if you were here on a domestic work visa, you had the ability to change your employer if they were not treating you fairly. You know, for example, like lack of pay or withholding holidays and so forth. Um, your employer is one who renews your work visa every six months. But now that option was taken away from migrants on their visa, um, so basically if they want their employer changed, if they're being abused, you mm -hmm. can't change your employer. So it makes migrants want to stay with that employer, even if they're being abused because they need their visa renewed, uh, which is an extremely difficult situation. So that kind of makes it really difficult for people, you know, wanting to come here to work or just finding another avenue as a means to reside here. So yeah, possibly a reason for more people coming here for transnational marriages. I think that's really interesting what you just said, Lucy, but also what you said, and Andrew, by bringing up the LGBTQI plus community. Since, for example, the research I have done on this topic has mostly focused on heterosexual couples and not homosexual or otherwise, it also shows that there might be a need for researchers and scholars to do more studies or do more research on further marginalized people, such as the LGBTQI community. And then, do you, since you have talked about push factors, would you maybe want to explain a bit more about pull factors? Yeah, of course, yeah, so pull factors. Firstly, I'll define the meaning. And pull factors attract individuals to form relationships with other people from other countries, which attracts them to leave their country of origin. In this slide, let's consider Indian migrants who choose to marry transnationally. So a pull factor could be the discourse around family dynamics and roles. Mm. Traditionally, men are expected to work and provide for their families, whereas women are expected to be nurturers, uncomplied with domestic duties such as cooking and nurturing. This is more common in rural areas where traditional values have remained a strong foundation of the family unit. Mm. Indian wives or women in India are not generally pressured or forced to pursue an educational or professional career as traditionally it's a man's job to work a professional career to provide for his family solely. The progressive thinking of British Indian men who typically do not hold the same ideas that women should be confined to the home as their primary function is therefore a pull factor. However, migrant women may need to defy conventional traditions and enter the workforce in order to enjoy a better living condition in the UK because approximately two-thirds of migrant families in the UK are single-income households and on zero-hour contracts, which don't pay well. The uncertain and insecure employment migrants can obtain might force both migrant Indian and Pakistani wives to seek a career. Additionally, the diverse and prosperous economy is another pull factor for both Indian and Pakistani migrants. As of 2010, Pakistan's GDP per capita was $25 billion, whereas Britain's GDP per capita was $927 billion. So the UK's economy is 37 times larger, and according to these statistics, you make 9 tenths more money, have 47% lower chances of being unemployed, and have 23% lower chances of living below the poverty line in the UK. Life, health and basic necessities are generally better in the UK, so this is a significant pull factor 
for transnational unions. Economic considerations are the primary driver of transnational marriages for migrant men from India and Pakistan. Britain's flourishing economy aids in the action, action of sending remittances to the country of origin. Cultural expectations of transferring remittances to families living in the homeland are met by earning much more money in the UK for doing similar job roles in Pakistan or India. However, I must add that many migrant husbands experience, experience difficulty when their earnings are insufficient to support both their new family in the UK and in their home country. A possible explanation is that qualifications obtained in the Global South may not be recognised in Europe. Migrants in Pakistan with master's degree are an illustration of this. So a master's degree in Pakistan is only recognised as being equivalent to a bachelor's degree in the UK in 2008. So the assimilation of immigrants or migrants in the UK has stalled as a result. Wow, that's pretty harsh. Uh, that actually reminds me of my parents' experience. Both of my parents began attending university in Kosovo, however, they never managed to get a degree because of the political climate. The Yugoslav government at the time would not allow the Kosovo population to attend higher education. But yeah, what do you think about all of this, Lucy? So, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the hostile environment. Um, I would say an example of this would be a set of policies that Theresa May presented in 2012 to make it much more difficult for people without the correct paperwork to be able to reside here. So, not only that, she made it impossible rather, for illegal migrants to access basic human needs such as healthcare. So, in turn, it really just made migrants not even seem human in a way, kind of just like a statistic or a burden. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think this is um, what also changed the course of how migrants were viewed, even legal ones actually. And I believe that was also shown in Brexit. And while, yes, I believe migrants were already covered within the media to be demonised, um, Theresa May added to the hostile environment for them, which painted them in a difficult light as well. Uh, to add to this, in July to August 2013, she petitioned bans to drive around the area to apply migration, uh, stating that if you were there illegally, you had the option to turn yourself in. And this was highly controversial, and it was basically for the government to save money. And it was actually found by the EHRC that it broke equality laws. So activities like this, obviously because people being exposed to it regularly, increased the tension between migrants and in turn, probably created stricter laws uh, for the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the UK has notoriously harsh immigration policies. Uh, these policies became particularly exclusionary and punitive during the early years of the 21st century, feeding into unfed by high levels of public and media concern over immigration. And again, intimate connecting with Anandu earlier as well, I would say reasons like this are why many people come over here for marriage due to being so difficult to even reside here legally. So yeah, this is definitely a pull factor in getting people, particularly Pakistani and Indian women, to the UK. Yeah, that's understandable. But that also reminds me, as you both know, we're still in a pandemic. Um, what do you think, Lucy? Do you think that the pandemic has added to the hostile environment? Yeah, I would say um, the COVID has had an effect on the hostile environment alongside Brexit and its consequences. For example, it made family reunification much more difficult you know, yeah. because 
listening on there. Um, uh, Brexit in itself, though, highlighted particularly the deeper issues within society and how people felt around migrants. So, Nigel Farage was, in general, a pretty pivotal factor in this, and he based his argument on the EU being corrupt and us giving our money away, and migrants, you know, taking over, uh, taking over jobs in the UK, even though, yeah, exactly, the, they do the jobs that the British necessarily don't want to do. Um, you know, being the backbone of our country in terms of jobs in that way. I remember watching on TV as well, seeing people interviewed for their reasons behind Brexit, and everyone said um, immigration. And one man said, I don't mind these people from Spain, but it's all these people from Africa I don't want coming over here. Um, along those words, anyway. And it was quite self explanatory that people had very little idea what leaving the EU really stood for, and it was really just anti immigration ideals. Um, swaying the vote. So drawing on the Essex Continuous Monitoring Surveys, the ECMS, the most comprehensive study done to date of the vote for Brexit demonstrates how public concerns over immigration were not only central to explaining why the British people voted to leave the EU, but also had shaped longer-term vitality in British public attitudes towards EU membership. Also, an analysis of survey data by Swales suggests the lead victory was not about objective demographics alone. Wow, thank you for that, Lucy. That was really interesting. I found what that man said about African migrants to be shocking. What do you think about this, Ariana? Yeah, I agree with you, and Andrew. It was shocking to hear. And just to, to conclude a bit, I think all of these aspects factor in people's views and migration in general. But it also makes family migration difficult with these push and pull factors, the post-multiculturalist views nations are adapting, and also how the hostile environment that's been created is stopping family members from reuniting. Thank you, Lucia and Ariana, for your contribution. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening to our podcast on family migration. We hope you have found our discussion most illuminating and insightful. This is the Migrating Mic signing off.